0: sarcoma insight
1: sarcoma insight this is our destination for education for both benign and malignant tumors
0: thank you everyone and welcome to this episode of sarcoma insight uh, in our previous episode we had the esteemed dr Awud, where we discussed primary tumors of the spine and in that episode there were multiple references uh to metastatic disease of the spine. And so we have brought Dr. Awood right back to discuss metastatic disease of the spine with us. For those who have not had a chance to listen to the previous episode, Dr. Awood is a sarcoma and spine surgeon, as well as an engineer. Uh, He's assistant professor of engineering and orthopedics at McGill University in Montreal, Quebec. He is uh, an avid researcher and clinician. Uh, He did his residency at McGill, and completed two fellowships, one at Calgary for Spine, at the University of Calgary for Spine, and at the University of Toronto for his oncology training. And uh, we are happy to have him again. How are you feeling, Dr. Awood?
2: Well, thanks for having me again. Feeling good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you forgot to mention his uh, most important quality as an all-around amazing individual. I think you mentioned that in the last episode. But... All-around amazing <laughs> Most individual. important distinction
0: that is pretty accurate. I'm trying,
2: trying to live up to you guys' footsteps. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I think we forgot to tell our listeners as well, but uh can you tell us where is McGill University?
2: So McGill University is in uh beautiful Montreal, Canada. So just uh, north of New York.
0: <laughs> do, do, do you have do you speak French all the time uh when you're uh in McGill or you have to you go it's
2: between So bilingual English bilingual institution I speak French and English yes with my patients uh but most of you know I would tell you it's about 60 40 uh 60 percent uh, French 40 English so. wow. yeah
0: wow I already imagine how difficult a lot of the oncology conversations are in English I can't imagine having to have them in another language honestly
2: well you know I did my med school in French so we had English textbooks, but everything was done in French, so it helped me out quite a bit.
1: Wow, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, maybe someone needs to write the French textbooks. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that would be a um, challenge.
1: <laughs> well, so this is even more of a, a treat having an international guest. Then we should highlight that um, we're always trying to expand the the reach of sarcoma insight, and so we've crossed the border. Uh, I guess we've already had some some guests from the University of Toronto. So we're, we are already have a close relationship with our Canadian colleagues, but always wonderful to have our, our friends from up north join us to share their expertise. So I think we'll dive right into uh, this episode's topic. Um, so we talked a lot about primary spine tumors on the last episode and some of the general features and characteristics that we're looking for and thinking about when treating those patients. So tell us a little bit about metastatic spine disease. Where do these tumors typically come from? What's the primary site? Yeah.
2: So I I would tell you, you know, anytime you have a patient over 50 years old who has a lesion in the spine, think about metastatic disease. Um, the other only thing that I would tell you that could be a primary disease is uh, multiple myeloma or plasmacytoma. Uh, but again, the treatment is very similar. Uh, the number one, I guess most cancers can metastasize to the spine. The reason for it or the the, the thought, uh, most common reason for this uh, area of uh, the cancer spreading to is actually the way the blood vessels flow and uh, the venous return or the, how the blood goes back towards the heart uh, through the spinal column, so through your spine anatomy and bones. And it becomes a, an area where it's easy for those cancer cells to find a new home uh, and create what we call metastatic disease. So the the most common cancers that do uh, present in the spine are breast, lung, and prostate as they are the most commonly diagnosed in, in our uh, more uh, elderly population and in uh, patients over 50 years of age. Uh, but cancers like uh, renal cell carcinoma, uh, melanoma, etc can also uh, metastasize to the spine and require, a little bit more uh, treatment uh, modalities than the standard metastatic disease. So those are the kind of the things that you need to uh, watch out for. And you need to make sure uh, that your diagnosis, even for metastatic disease, is uh, accurate because the treatment can change even for that.
1: Yeah, as I, I think we highlighted on our last episode, really important for us to know what we're treating before we move forward with the treatment. Um, that can definitely change things if you do the wrong thing for the wrong suspected diagnosis without a, a definitive answer. But that's always a good point to remind our listeners of. And uh, easy, any other any other questions on this topic? Yes.
0: Yeah, so, Doctor would you you've gotten us really into this uh, metastatic disease, and we know it's usually older patients. You said that, but where where in the body is a are these uh, metastatic uh, diseases to the spine more likely to occur? We know you have the cervical spine, which is closer to the neck, the lumbar spine, which is all the way lower, and the thoracic in the middle. Is there any one of these that has a more uh, common site uh, for um, a metastatic disease? And uh, compared to other parts of the body, how common is it to get metastatic disease to the spine?
2: So lots of uh, things to answer there, but Most of the time, these tumors do uh, propagate to the thoracic spine. That's the most common location that these uh, tumors uh, tend to end up, but they can uh, occur in the cervical, so the neck region or the lumbar, even the sacrum and pelvic region, obviously, uh, are also areas where the tumor can see. The other part of your question is,
0: how common is the spine as a site for metastatic disease
2: right so the the spine is one of the most common sites like uh, the femur humerus uh, the long bones the spine is a very common site of metastatic disease Uh, more than uh, 60 percent of metastatic lesions in these cancers do occur in the spine Uh, we can uh, find these like i said uh, most commonly the thoracic spine but anywhere else uh, and that just entails to the uh, to the necessity of appropriate workup for these uh, patients to get a good uh, idea of where this is coming from, but to also get the right appropriate uh, targeted treatment. For example, uh, there's some features on imaging that we do see, uh, for example, in breast and prostate cancer, uh, where there tends to be a little bit more bone formation sometimes and it could be uh, called a blastic lesion on the CT scan, or it could be a mixed lesion, so lytic or blastic. Lytic means that the bone is uh, eroding. Blastic means that there is more uh, bone being formed to try to combat the tumor uh, presence. Uh, So those kind of are features on imaging that can help you with your diagnosis. But most importantly is finding that primary source. So when you do your CT chest, abdo, pelvis, You're always looking for uh, lesions, either in the chest, uh, the breast, uh, the abdomen, such as the kidneys, uh, rectal CA, for example, colon cancer also can happen. Uh, Sometimes we do also get ultrasounds of the thyroid if we're thinking of a thyroid cancer, because all of these uh, different types of cancers can metastasize to the spine. Now, more importantly is the treatment for these different uh, tumors can vary. Uh, For example, if you do have a renal cell carcinoma gone to your spine or anywhere in your body, or a thyroid cancer or melanoma, it's always advisable to have embolization, which is blocking of the vessels in these tumors prior to surgery as they tend to be very vascular, whereas other tumors such as breast, lung, prostate do not generate as much blood vessels and can be treated without that process uh, beforehand. So those those are important because they can really affect outcome and they can uh, make surgery difficult at points if they're not thought of uh, before. Yeah,
0: thank you. So in the previous episode, you described locations of, of tumors in the spine, whether it be more anterior or posteriorly based. Would you mind going over that again for metastatic disease, specifically where uh, it is more likely to occur in the spine for you?
2: Yeah, so it, when we're talking about anterior or posterior, 70% of metastatic disease will be in the anterior column in the vertebral body whereas 30% are more in the posterior column, uh, so spinous process, so that bony prominence that you feel in, the, in your back between your shoulder blades all the way up to your neck and down to your uh, lower back. Uh, so uh, it's more often in areas where you cannot feel, so more anterior. Uh, so that's the importance of having appropriate imaging uh, for the diagnosis and treatment. Uh, and again, thoracic spine seems to be the most common site when we're looking at up to down kind of location throughout the spine.
0: Yeah, and staying on imaging, you discussed uh CT scans as well as MRIs on our previous episode. Are you doing a similar thing for the patients presenting with these? And then uh, on the X-rays are there any particular signs that would you would see that would make you think it was metastatic disease uh, as well?
2: Yeah, so it's important to, uh, I think the one thing that's very important to mention is that the spine can have also infections. So it can be uh, riddled with uh, what we call spondylodiscitis, which is a, a process where bacteria seeds in the disc space between the vertebrae, and that could cause erosions or bony destruction that can mimic sometimes uh, cancer and get people confused with cancer, so that needs to be eliminated. Uh, The number one feature uh, that differentiates metastatic disease from uh, an infection is that the cancer typically happens in the middle of the vertebral body and then extends to the disc spaces, whereas a bacteria starts in the disc space and then moves its way along the vertebral body. Uh, So those kind of features are important to note on imaging. And then uh, based on x-rays, CT scan, and MRI, again, there's some features that can help differentiate between uh, one cancer and another. Uh, And the main things I would tell you is classifying them as lytic or blastic. And again, lytic means bony destruction, blastic means more bone formation. And based on that, you have a better idea of where to look. Uh, A blastic lesion uh, in a man, you want to rule out prostate cancer in a female uh, breast cancer most of the time. That's just in uh, general terms. Obviously, there's more detail than that, but in, in general terms. And I do get a CT scan and an MRI. The reason for a CT scan is to better delineate the bony structures and to rule out any other primary sites. Uh, and the MRI is to better delineate the neural elements or the spinal cord and nerves uh, to see any if anything needs to be done from that standpoint.
1: Uh, yeah. So I, I think, uh, again, you're, you always do a really good job of uh, telling us a little bit more about things from the standpoint of, uh, especially someone you can tell you've had your spine training as well as your sarcoma training. So thinking about these in ways that you know some of our uh, colleagues may not necessarily have that uh, routine pattern of uh, uh, doing the workup for these patients. And so um, I think this is a really good um, explanation of the appropriate way to approach this. And so along the same lines, uh, you've mentioned this a little bit, but in terms of uh, obtaining a biopsy for these patients. When is it necessary? When is it not, especially in the setting of metastatic disease? You mentioned we do still want to have a diagnosis, but there's probably still some situations in these cases where you may forego the biopsy, I would imagine, and um, move forward towards developing a treatment plan for these patients. So tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Yes, absolutely. So, you know, whenever you have a, a single lesion or a solitary lesion, like we discussed in the previous episode, you need to absolutely get a biopsy, in my opinion. Uh, whenever you have metastatic disease, so widespread disease, then a biopsy becomes less uh, less important, uh, and the treatment of the patient's symptoms become the, the main goal of your treatment. Uh, unfortunately, most patients that do present with metastatic disease are presenting for the first time, and we're uh, advising them of the cancer for the first time. So it's, it's then important to have a diagnosis and appropriate treatment. So I would say to simplify things, uh, whenever you have multiple lesions in the spine or multiple lesions within the body, then a surgical intervention without a proven biopsy in the spine is appropriate. Uh, especially if we are treating the common reasons for metastatic disease. And what are those? There are three main reasons. One is a patient that has too much pain uh, that requires this to help them uh, cope with their disease. Uh, Two is a patient obviously presenting with neurological compromise or difficulty ambulating or Problems with their upper extremity, then that is a, a direct indication for surgery. And lastly, if it's a patient that has uh, a destruction of the spinal column to the point that it becomes unstable, then we have to stabilize that mechanically uh, with our surgery. I always say also the the added benefit of surgery in spine uh, metastatic disease is to be able to get tissue to help with the uh, overall systemic treatment of the disease. Although the disease is spread within the body, if we have these cancer cells, we can actually do enough analysis. And with the uh, evolution in medical treatment, that analysis could lead to direct targetable therapies that can drastically improve patient outcome and survivorship. So, that's another role for surgery these days that is uh, very important.
0: Thank you for that. I, I I do think the the benefits of was just scratching the surface on the benefits of targeted therapies and immunotherapies, etc. For these patients you talked about surgery, are there any um, classifications that you consider or um, that help predict or guide your treatment or surgical type if you're going to do an intralesional surgery on block with stabilization, et cetera?
2: Yeah. So again, it, uh, you know, you could try to follow the gnomes kind of uh, classification, but there's a lot of, a lot of papers out there. We've published a few on uh, this exact question. I would tell you the the key uh, rationale or the way we want to think about it is what is the expected survival for this patient so how how widespread is this disease and how aggressive we want to be in our treatment is the right answer for this type of for this question so a patient that is expected to only live 3 months or less obviously then uh, considering palliative care Radiotherapy, stuff that are less invasive uh, should be the goal. If anyone has a prognosis between three to six months, I would say then you want to try to alleviate their symptoms, whether that be minimally invasive uh, fixation of the spine to help with pain management without a big open procedure, then that should be the case. And then the spectrum of patients who have a better outcome or a survivorship more than six months. Then you want to be a little bit more aggressive, and those patients you want to maybe do a vertebrectomy, stabilization, but also remove as much of the cancer as you can. And the last category I would tell you is the one where you want to be the most aggressive uh, is uh, solitary metastasis, uh, at least five years out of the primary cancer's detection. And that is true for cancers such as renal cell carcinoma and uh, breast cancer now even. Uh, We're becoming more and more uh, aggressive because we have such good targeted therapies. And if the patient is disease-free for at least five years and only has one uh, lesion that does show up in the spine, then our, our goal is to try to be curative and remove this tumor in one piece so it does not come back that's the the thought process behind it. So those are the broad categories I would tell you. It goes from doing nothing to doing very little, to doing a mediocre surgery, to doing everything you can. I don't know if that makes sense, but.
0: It absolutely does. And I think those uh, metacronous metastases remain a challenge, I think, to treat uh, when they do arise uh, after the patient has been cancer-free for a while.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's again. It's always uh, important to know that this is a continually evolving area, as you alluded to, um, with the changes in treatment as they arise. So, metastatic disease treatment, I think, is something that doesn't get as uh, enough credit uh, for how challenging it can be in terms of the uh, different kind of uh, aspects of the patient's diagnosis and their overall. Prognosis and treatment to date. How much all of those things come into play in terms of talking to the patient, and, there, and there, of course the patient's goals and individual uh, background and just functional demands, et cetera. These are all things that come into play when determining the appropriate treatment for patients. And um, and I'd like to highlight again that so doing nothing, it's more doing nothing maybe from a surgical standpoint, but of course usually there's other aspects of the multidisciplinary care that are still important. And uh, most of this discussion so far, I think, is focused on patients with metastatic disease that we would identify as benefiting from surgery. But there are a lot of patients, I'm sure, who you may be consulted on or asked a question about where surgery may not necessarily be needed or required. And instead, radiotherapy, of course, is always a really important aspect of their care or systemic therapy or sometimes maybe even a more percutaneous procedure with our interventional radiologists where they fill cement, um, into a lesion. But so, um, we're focusing more on the patients today and discussions in which surgery is likely playing a role, but, but yeah, Yeah. I think that there's, there's a lot. And yeah, feel free to comment on that. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. So yeah, I'm talking with my surgeon cap on, but, uh, Definitely. Even with uh, the big surgeries we do, we need the the help of our colleagues in radiation oncology, medical oncology, to control the disease, but also to help augment the treatment, the mechanical treatment that we do as surgeons. So that's very, very important. And even though you're not offered, for example, a surgical uh, procedure, uh, for example, radiation SBRT. Uh, even in in the radiation world, lots of, lots of different types of radiation treatments can be offered that could be very targeted. Uh, that that makes me think of even an actual surgical procedure that's called a separation surgery that I did not mention that is targeted to actually help create a little bit more room between the nerves uh, and the tumor so that the, our colleagues, radiation oncologists, can radiate. Uh, the tumor with, with less secondary effects. So again, it's a teamwork uh, effort. It's a multidisciplinary thing. Discussions with everyone together to come up with the uh, appropriate plan for each given patient is of utmost importance. And whether chemo before, after, uh, immunotherapy, etc. cetera, are all adjuncts to our treatments uh, uh, that we do give for these uh, patients.
1: Perfect. That's great. And we're, we're always highlighting how important um, all of our team members are. I know, again, you talked about some of the other surgical team members you may work with. And today we're definitely highlighting how much we uh, value and rely on our colleagues and their other oncology specialties that we work with as well. But very important in metastatic disease. Izu, any other thoughts or questions for Dr. Awood?
0: So before we get to our sailing point, um, I just want to know, after surgery on these patients, what is your surveillance? Is it similar to how you had described uh, for your uh, sarcoma patients who get reconstructions? Uh, how often are you seeing them or surveilling them after surgery?
2: Yeah, again, it, it depends on the uh, the tumor itself and and the disease burden on the patient. But uh, again, for my algorithm, it's uh, there's two aspects. There's the cancer aspect and the, there's the reconstruction aspect that I wanna follow. In the reconstruction aspect, I wanna make sure, uh, depending on what I've done, uh, that there isn't any problem with the hardware fixation that I've done. So I tend to see them every six months uh, for that aspect. Uh, and then for the cancer uh, kind of the treatment, uh, I tend to follow with the medical oncologist, leave them have uh, uh, the lead on that uh, so they can monitor the the disease throughout the body. And at the same time, I can focus on the uh, smaller aspect that I've treated uh, conjointly. Thank
0: you. And that brings us to our finale again, Elise. Some salient points, I think we have that the metastatic tumors are called that because they arise from other sites with the lung, breast, and prostate being very common. And these tumors can be lytic, which as Dr. Awood explained, is when you have missing bone or the tumor eats away at the bone. They can be blastic, right, which is a weakening of the bone, but more sclerotic, which means there is a thicker bone in that area. Um, or it can be mixed. So either lytic and blastic at the same time, at least.
1: Yeah. And and just to highlight again, as we did at the end, uh, systemic therapy is still extremely important when there's metastatic disease and likely radiotherapy as well, because uh, this is a disease that's spread from another site. So providing treatment that the disease in the entire body sees and not just locally in that one area that we're focused on in terms of risk of fracture, destabilization of the spine is very important. And in terms of the decision to proceed with surgery and what type, that's both based on the disease type, disease burden, overall um, aspects of the patient's functional status that can be improved, um, and their, of course, health and other comorbidities as well come into uh, consideration. As, as usual, it was a pleasure, uh, Dr. Aoud, to have you on uh, this episode. Um, again, we're, we're happy to have you as a, a friend and colleague of the show and look forward to being able to reach out to you with questions about our own patients who we see with uh, uh, spine tumors. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me. It was always a pleasure. Thanks, guys.
0: I will finish by saying it is important to note that every patient's case is unique and treatment for each diagnosis depends on discussion with your team of physicians. If you would like more information, uh, please feel free to check out the article that's added to our episode description. You can also uh, follow us on Instagram uh, as well as check out our website and subscribe to the episode if you enjoyed it. Thank you all very much for listening to this episode of Sarcoma Insight. Sarcoma Insight